This is a new dimension in sound. The sound here has been recorded on the tape magnetically. This is us. We're back. Oh my god. Oh my god, Dave. <laughs> Dave. Episode number six of A Dave in the Life. Welcome to it and thanks again for listening, whether you've downloaded or you've subscribed. Don't forget, if you do subscribe via Google Podcasts, iTunes or any other of the number of platforms that you can use, each week this will just rock up inside your device and then you don't have to worry about checking out the social media channels. But of course, you can do that as well. You can contact me anytime if you want to chat about something, if you think I've balled something up. I'd love to hear about my mistakes and then, hey, maybe we can turn it into a, a funny conversation. As always, I want to hear your story as well. If you've got a great one, get in touch and who knows, you could be featured as a part of a Dave in the Life. Now, in this episode, we're going to walk a Dave in the Life of not just one, but so many legends of the music biz at large because we're talking about roadies, the backbone of the industry, the keepers of all of the secrets of all the things that we always wanted to know about the people that we admired, the rock stars, the musicians, the behind the scenes. Now, Stewie Coop is an incredible author and he's made a career of late of getting people to talk that traditionally might not have. He wrote the amazing Gadinsky book. He wrote the incredible recent Tex Perkins book. And he's done some other incredible things throughout his time, including managing and launching the careers of the Hooded Gurus and most notably Paul Kelly. Stewie's new book, Roadies, The Secret History of Australian Rock and Roll, does what so many people before Stu have failed to do, and that is get the stories. The roadies were the guys that kept the secrets of what happened on tour. They're the guys that know what happens, and they're just absolute geniuses in terms of what they can do with MacGyverism, as I like to call it, backstage. But anyway, let's get to this. Stewie Coop is an incredible speaker. I could have almost called this episode a stew in the life or something like that because stew can talk. So strap yourself in. This is a Dave in the life. Stewie Coop talking about the incredible new book, Roadies. Hello, Stu. Dave, how are you? I'm doing real well, thanks. How are you going? I am not bad. I'm almost tongue-tied, but I've got more for you. It's okay. <laughs> Excellent, mate. Hopefully there's, there's some left in the tank, so I've been really looking forward oh, to chatting totally. to you. Oh, no, totally, totally. It's okay. Not not a problem in the slightest. Uh, Sue McCauley, though, knows how to work it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm absolutely fine. So, uh, well, it's good to hear, mate, because you, you, you definitely have a lot to say and absolutely loved this recent read, uh, Roadies, The Secret History of Australian Rock and Roll. I've done my best to try and pump it out in, in under a week. It's been a, it's been a bloody great read. That's two cracker books in a row for you. Yeah, no, I'm pretty, uh, I'm, I'm happy. I mean, well, it's actually three. I mean, there was Gadinsky, then I, I did, uh, I wrote Tex Perkins' memoirs that's for right, him. Yeah. So, so now I'm, I've just started on a, a biography of, um, of Paul Kelly. So that's, uh, that's the next one, uh, which I'm, I'm doing with Paul's Blessing, which is great. So, um, you know, all, all the stuff that wasn't in How to Make Gravy. <laughs> so, uh, so. Well, you, you were got a, a lot of the behind, scene, uh, behind the scenes stuff as well. You were, you were there right from the birth of Paul Kelly. Well, I wasn't so much from the birth, but he was, interestingly enough, um, but, but he was the, uh, the very first interview I ever did. Um, back in 1976, he and the High Rise Bombers came to Adelaide where 
I'd moved from Tasmania and I was attempting to do a university degree fairly unsuccessfully. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, and I attempted to get a coherent sentence out of, um, out of Paul. So uh, <laughs> having no, no dream that I would, you know, what, maybe, what, eight years later, be his manager for so many years. Uh, but I, I said to him with the book, that was one of his reservations, you know. Um, he said, you know, former manager. I said, look, dude, you know, I was a journalist long before I was your manager. And I said, you know, I, I said, okay, I was around for some great records, but in the whole scheme of your career, it was a comparatively short amount of time. And I said, I'm also not particularly interested in writing a, you know, I was there kiss and tell type, you know, book that, uh, that that sort of style of book doesn't doesn't interest me in the slightest. So I said I said you're safe. It's okay. <laughs> so. What do you what do you put when you have to travel out of the country? Well, you know when they say what do you do for a living? Do you put journalist on that count? Mm, yeah, look, I tend to put journalist or um, you know I mean I sometimes become slightly pretentious and put writer, <laughs> um, but I I don't put radio broadcaster even though I've actually now been doing that for almost a quarter of my life. So I, I figure that's going to be, particularly when, you know, I'm going to America and they ask what radio station I work at and I go, FBI, right? You know, there's, there's, there's a whole world of trouble coming there, right? So. Oh, very much so. I've only been in the game myself for 20 years and I'm still putting music director every single time. I just don't want to get into those, those what do you do on the radio conversations? Yeah, well, you know, and it's it's like, you know, with this, with this book, um, you know, one of the nicest things about it is, is one of the roadies who I interviewed put up on Facebook and he said, he said, honestly, for the first time, I feel like there's validation for what I've done because he said, I've spent my entire life when I, and when people say, well, what did you used to do? And you say, a roadie. And he said, their eyes just glaze over and they go, <laughs> oh, you worked with bands, did you, mate? You know, and he said, look, finally, I can hold up a book and go, you know what? Motherfucker, which I won't say on the radio. Uh, this is what I did. <laughs> so, yeah, and that, and that look, you know, we'll maybe get into that when we chat. But you know, that was that was one of the important things for me. Uh, you know, was was that the roadies themselves liked like what I've done. So uh, you know that uh, that you know they're they're happy with it and feel and feel as though it captures. Uh, you know, the, their world because you know I've never been a roadie. You know. Um, you know, I, I was one of those managers who, uh, you know, assumed that road crew were indestructible and could do absolutely anything, absolutely anything. As all good managers do, as all good managers do, you want you want the best possible outcome for for your artists and for yourself as well, um, mate. We, we have been rolling for a while. It's too good to resist the urge to just roll safe straight from the start. But um, I think people are going to love this book. I've absolutely loved it. I mean, I. I struggle to read great books, to be honest. If I find a great book, I pick it up and I don't put it down. I've done just that since the book arrived. Roadies, The Secret History of Australian Rock and Roll is out now. And as we said, you've written a few good books, but Gidinski, Tex, etc. Um, did putting together the last lot of books kind of lead on to the next one? Is this how this is all kind of rolled? How interconnected have the processes been? Uh, look, um, the, the genesis for doing this book on on roadies really was the the end of the um of the michael gudinski book I, I was talking to a guy called adrian anderson uh dave you know who who is a character in in um in the roadies book and uh and he told me he was helping me with information about 
the Melbourne music scene in the late 60s and early 70s. You know, I wasn't around then. And uh, so he, he was he was great. And he an ex-roadie. And he told me about this organisation called the Australian Road Crew Association. Uh, and, and I went, oh, yeah, that's good. You know, a bunch of roadies, you know, getting together, you know, a couple of beers, talk about the good gigs, the bad gigs, you know, the good load-ins, the bad load-ins. And, and then he explained to me that there, there was a more serious side to the Australian Road Crew Association in that, um, you know, Australian road crew have anecdotally uh, somewhere between four and five times the national suicide rate, you know, which is a really, really staggering statistic and it, it knocked me for six and I yeah. went you know what's going on here and 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 so I think it was out of something really terrible like that that I went okay I think I know roadies but clearly I don't know roadies and and also I, I realized that you know none of them had ever told their stories you know except for Ron Clayton who, who wrote a book about his believe it or not 50 years yeah. working with the Ted Mulry gang and that 50 years has not ended. He's still working with them. Um, uh, and I, I just thought, okay, well, there are no other documents of the roadie world. And, and, of course, aside from this terrible suicide rate, you know, just the natural course of events, people are dying. Yeah. And with them go all of these great, great stories. I mean, honestly, you've, you've read the, the book. I mean, each one of these characters could write their own book. Absolutely. With no problems whatsoever. So... You know, I set about trying to to get them to talk, and a lot of people have said, you know, how did you get all of these roadies to talk to you? Because roadies, you know, they are the custodians of all secrets, good and bad, <laughs> and they tend to, you know, what what happens on the road stays on the road is one of their creeds, um, and so they they don't they don't tend to talk to other people. But um, I. In hindsight, I think I adopted the Sopranos principle, <laughs> which is, you know, basically if you want to be a made guy with the Sopranos, you need to get the support of Tony. All right? <laughs> Tony Soprano's got to anoint you. And then you're okay. You turn up at a restaurant, Mark, and they say, who sent you? You just say Tony, and they say, where would you like to sit, sir? Uh, so I I went to the god. I went to the Tony Soprano of uh, of the Australian road crew community. This guy called Howard Freeman. Yes. Uh, started working in the 60s he, uh, he I'm talking to you from Melbourne and uh, I said to Howard oh, can I catch up with you while you're in Melbourne he said no mate I said he said I'm, I'm too busy I said what you're 70 <laughs> you know what are you last time I talked to you you were going to retire he said oh, I can't retire mate I'm I'm setting up the wrestling at the MCG oh you know we've got a four-day loaded you know it's it's in their blood but look I I went to I went to Howard uh, and then I went to Scrooge Madigan Scrooge does spell his name like the Donald Duck comic. It's Scrooge with a dollar sign for S. He spells it that way. He was uh, Daddy Cool's roadie for all of their career. And, and I got the confidence of, of Howard and Scrooge. Um, you know, I can't resist the joke. Yogi and Bear. They are two individuals, yeah. right? Yogi. Uh, and, uh, and, and a couple, you know, a bunch of these really revered um, classic Australian roadies. And so... It was it, to to continue on with the um, the Sopranos thing when when some of the newer uh, roadies said, "Oh, I'm not sure if we want to talk to you, mate. You know, who have you talked to?" And you go, "Tony Soprano said to say hi." <laughs> uh, they they suddenly get kind of talkative, um, and so you know, look, I, I was I was very lucky to be honest with you, you know, and I, and I, I think they 
uh, you know, a lot of them had read the Gadinsky book. Some of them had read the textbook. Some of them had read my book on concert promoters. So, you know, they they knew that I was about telling telling stories honestly, not about just, you know, salacious sensationalism. You know, I said to them, you know, you're roadies. There's going to be sex in this book. There's going to be drugs in this book. I didn't. I wasn't prepared for how many guns were going to be in there. Uh, but uh, but I said, yeah, of course that's going to be in there. But I said, it, it's not, you know, it's also going to be a book about how hard you work, how smart you are, you know, how ingenious they are. You know, roadies. Absolutely. Roadies. I realise they they it doesn't enter their heads the notion of is something possible. You know, they don't, they don't, they're not wired like that. You know, so for a, a good roadie, it's not can it be done. No, it's how is it going to be done. You know, that's that's the that's the only way they think. It's how do we do it? What do we need to do? Do we need to drill a hole through that double bricked wall <laughs> and put feed a lead through there and then wind it up through the ceiling and? up around and then bring it down through the wall and then plug it into an amplifier and flick the switch and hope that the venue doesn't blow up. Okay, let's try that. Let's just see what happens. Yeah. True or problem solvers the world <laughs> has never seen. Absolute problem solvers. And you, and you remind me there of something that Howard says in the book, and that is surround yourself with incredibly fucking intelligent people and then just kind of fake it until you make it in a sense. If, you, if you're surrounded by these incredibly intelligent problem solvers, then nothing is really a problem. Mm. And, and, and Howard, I, I love Howard. You know, there's one scene in the book where he's, he's working at Etihad Stadium in Melbourne in its very early days, and, they, and they're loading out in the middle of the night. And there's a team of about 100 crew and loaders and roadies working through the night. And Howard is dressed in a... He's got a German military helmet on and a dress... Now, this is a heavily tattooed man, right? Yeah. And he's wearing a dress and a German military helmet. And, uh, and one of the people that runs Etihad Stadium comes out and says, Howard, what are you doing? And he said, he said, everybody here knows who I am. Nobody knows who you are. And when I need to get people's attention and I need to get their respect and I need things to get done, it's important that they know who I am. And I'm the guy in a dress with a German army helmet on. Absolutely. I love, and I love the way that he relayed that fact to that at three in the morning when you need that extra little bit of extra 100% out of someone, they're more likely to give it to you if they look up and they see someone dressed that way and they go, yeah, all right, okay, cool. Yeah, when you meet Howard, it so doesn't surprise you. He, he was one of the real characters of this book for me. Is he the favourite? Is he one of the favourite raconteurs you've met throughout this process? Yeah, look, I, I loved I loved Howard, and uh, and he was kind of my go-to guy. But we had a funny moment, Howard and I, because towards the end, um, you know, I, I'd, I'd done about fifty or, or sixty uh, interviews, Dave, and and I'm thinking, okay, you know, this is this is what I need. And and so Howard rings up. He says, "How are you going?" And I said, "I'm done. I've finished." Right? And he goes, "Have you spoken to Kerry Cunningham?" And I go, no, look, I've really, I've got enough. He said, did you hear me? And I said, yeah, have I spoken to Kerry Cunningham? I said, no. He said, you haven't finished then. You need to talk to Kerry Cunningham, right? <laughs> and so on, on, uh, it, was, it was Easter Monday, I finally tracked Kerry down. He was, 
he, he gave me a, a couple of hours before he went off to, uh, you know, I mean, again, he's almost 70. He was working on a Green Day tour, right? And, uh, and I mean, he, I just walked out of, out of this encounter just going, oh, thank you, Howard. Thank you, Kerry. I mean, it, my favourite story, he told me, was the early days of ACDC when he was working, uh, he and another radio were working with ACDC. And they were really concerned that, or the combination, put it this way, of a motorbike, Bon Scott, and alcohol was not good. <laughs> and they, they, were, they were concerned that Bon was going to come to harm, putting these three, three components together. So road crew ingenuity. Before he went out on tour, they decided that they would uh, steal his motorbike. All they did was just pinch it and they hid it in the garage behind some PA gear, right? Yeah. So, you know, Bond's going, oh, you're not going to believe this. You know, my bike's been stolen. You know, and the roadies are going, oh, don't worry, Bond. You know, it'll be fine. We know everyone in this town. Probably just the bikies that pinched us apart. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll get it back for you. Go off on tour now. So, you know, Bond go off on tour. He'd come back and they go, oh, guess what, Bond? We found your bike. And Bond would go, you guys are the best, right? So this went on like time after time after time. Just before a tour, oh, you're not going to believe this. They stole me bike again. Don't worry, Bond. We'll get it back for you. It'll be okay. And on the fifth or sixth time, you know, Bond comes in, talks to the roadies. He goes, you're not going to believe it, but the bike's gone again. But he said, I'm not worried. Not worried at all. I know you guys. You know everybody. You'll get it back for me. No problems. Easy. I'm off on tour. <laughs> and uh, through all this, they, they, all they were doing was putting it in the back of the garage. It was fantastic. Yeah. That's, that's roadie smarts for you, I think. Absolutely. The, the mm. first PAs, the first real micromanagers of artists and musicians around the world. We are chatting to Stewie Coop. The incredible book, Roadies, The Secret History of Oz Rock and Roll, is out now. Uh, you do speak a lot about the polarity between roadies and the halcyon days and the roadies now, and it makes me think of Tana Douglas now. An incredible story. The first infamous female roadie, which back then was a huge feat in today's modern society of gender equality, not so much. But to to, hunch, to, to hark on that polarity, I think she was probably, what, 16, 17 years old when she moved in with ACDC in Melbourne. That probably wouldn't happen now, a band hiring and trusting a kid like that of any genre to pull that off, to pull off the impossible. That just wouldn't happen now. No, it, look, it probably wouldn't happen for someone to so quickly um, have that degree of responsibility, right? No, that, that, that I think, um, you know, was just a, a product of, of the times. But, you know, a couple of things that that makes me think of. I mean, I, I love the fact that there are so many more, and so, so do the, the male road crew members. They love the fact that there's so many more women um, involved in their industry, you know. And, in fact, the book pretty much ends with... Um, with you know Lisa Elm, who is currently working with John Butler and spent a long time working with you and I, um, and also Sophie Kirov, who uh, worked for many years with Flume and travels the world working with with contemporary artists. So you know two very talented um, contemporary women road crew members. But uh, no, look, it's it's still having said that it's still an industry where if if you if you want to be part of it, you know, and if you're if you're a 16, 17 year old kid, Dave, and and you're going, you know, what this sounds pretty good, and, and I think if you're mindful of you know how hard the work is, and, and you know a lot of time away from home, it's still a, an industry that you can get into if you're prepared to work 
and if you're prepared to learn. You know, there are courses. Um, you know, I finished the book with a guy in Perth who runs a, a course teaching people, you know, the basics of being a roadie and, and what they need to know. And, and there are similar ones around the country. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, any road crew member will go, yeah, that's good. You've got a bit of paper. Now go and push that and load that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and, and do that for the next three years and let's keep talking. You know, so it's, it's still very much, a, you know, a hands-on learn as you go um experience uh and um and i you know i was pleasantly surprised i, I went down to to wollongong to watch the the, the, the week-long build of a stage for an elton john show and i was watching all the loaders and everyone working there and you know probably close to 50 percent of them were women and uh, you know they they were they were you know all in the you know looked to be in their late teens you know, early twenties. You know, there were there were a few old gnarly, you know, ones that have been around for a while as as well. But um, it certainly is not, you know, just the bastion of of of, of the old. You know, mate, I've been doing it for forty years. I know how to pack a truck. You know, um, you know, there are a lot of young kids uh, getting into it, and you know, and and they're smart and savvy, and and they do know and understand the the technological world, which is so much more important to to road crewing these days you know it's all you know on a usb stick and yeah. it's all on computers and and all of that which you know was was daunting for a lot of the old school roadies when when you know light lighting first went digital in the late 80s and followed fairly quickly afterwards by by sound some of them embraced it some of them didn't but um you know, if it's it, it's it's like running away to to join the circus, and if the rock and roll circus is what you want, you know, you can, you can do a lot worse. Absolutely, I have a massive fear of clowns, and there's plenty of those in the music industry. But I'll tell you what, there's uh, <laughs> there's not many scary looking clowns uh, in the music industry anyway. But uh, I digress. Something I did notice about the the early parts of this book and its stages as well is the incredible level of ambiguity you've managed to use across this. There's some uh, removal of names and distinguishable references. I'd imagine the publisher would have been on the phone with you frequently saying, we can't say that, we can't, we can't do that. Uh, look, look, the lawyers had a good look over it, um, as, as they need to do these days. You know, you know what was interesting? It was more often it was the, um, it was the roadies themselves um, who actually, whilst they had... You know, in some cases, not a lot of respect for various things that had happened that they'd been involved with. There was two things, you know, they were either still working or they and, and they didn't want to offend people. Or, or they And they also have a remarkable realisation that, you know, some artists do grow up. You know, yeah. and, and that some of the things that they experienced at certain points you know, um, in that artist's career were not necessarily a reflection of the, of the artist that they were now. So, yeah, but yes, yeah, look, there were some names taken out for for legal reasons. I mean, we have very, very tough defamation laws in this country. Absolutely. Uh, and you you have yeah. to be very, very, very careful. I mean, you, you an author... Um, you know, I, I am not allowed or I risk a, a very hefty lawsuit if I even say that someone takes drugs. Yeah. You know, I can I can say that I take drugs. That's fine. <laughs> uh, I don't take drugs, but I can say that I do. Um, but I cannot say, you know, that 
that night that you and I had together, Dave, I cannot say anything about what you did that <laughs> night, all right? No, please it, don't it, say um, anything, Stu, please. No, I've got to keep it It's between you and I, all right? It, it would not be in the next book, right? My my torrid night with Dave, never going to be in print. So no, you, we we have to we have to be uh, yeah we we have to be careful. Look, I'm a great believer though. If a if a story's good, sometimes you don't need to know who was the person in the story. I mean, part of the fun sometimes with these stories is going. I wonder if it was Barnsley. Well, yes. it, could, it, it could have been Michael Hutchins, you know. <laughs> Golly, that, that sounds like the sort of thing James Rain would do. Absolutely. Yeah. No, 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 mate, it's got to be Steve Kilby. No, no, definitely. Oh, no, Faulkner, for sure. Um, so, you know, you can spend hours trying to work out who, who the culprit is. <laughs> the stone cold truth is something for a lot of great rock and roll tales. You'll never really find the bottom of it. And that's something that I've, I've loved reading this book and remembering some stories that I've been privy to as well off air, uh, notably one regarding ACDC Deep Purple at Sunbury that, uh, that Sana talks about. And I think having spoken to the ACDC guys and Deep Purple, I've heard about six different versions of that story. And I love every single one of them. I, I wouldn't take any of them to be truth, but I would never no, question look, anyone else's version of the story. No, look, that's, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because when... Um when the lawyer's report came back on this book, I, I, I said to my publisher, I said, it's actually fairly light on, you know, compared to the legal letters we got with some other books of mine and all uh, reports that we had. And, and he said, he said, yeah. And I said, what do you mean? Yeah. And he said, we're dealing with Rhodey's memories. <laughs> you know, he said, he said, you know, a degree of embellishment um, is just, part of what it's all about and so yes absolutely um you know acdc and deep purple at sunbury or you know any number of events that we can both recall there there are six eight ten versions of the same story and and somewhere in there is the the actual story but the, the every telling you know that becomes more embellished and 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 more far-fetched or and sometimes closer to the truth yeah, that's okay too. That's that's part of what it's it's all about. Yeah. Absolutely, I think I've heard four different versions of that story just from Glenn Hughes himself. So when you start adding <laughs> when you start adding extras into it, it, it becomes very uh, very 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 different. Uh, I encourage anyone to get out and read this book. It is sensational. Writing the secret history of Australian rock and roll is out now, and of course at the Sunshine Coast Music Festival in a couple of weeks. Get all these details up online. Hey, something I ask everyone I talk to, Stu, first record that you ever got, do you remember what it was, what format oh, it was? Of course. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, what a silly question. Of course I do. <laughs> um, it was, I saved up, um, well, I think it was a dollar and five at the time, and I still have that record. It was a 7-inch 45. Uh, it was the Easy Beats Friday on my mind. Oh, Sensational. That true story, I'm not making that up. That's not for hip cred. That is the first record I bought, okay? That is fantastic. That's a great first record. And quickly, one final thing before we let you go, Stu. We do something every year here. I started it about three years ago. It's called ACDC Day. 24 solid hours of ACDC on the radio. Nothing but. Uh, the only thing we have on there is bands and musicians and presenters talking about their connection to ACDC. Uh, firstly, one, would you support the campaign next year? Two, would you be interested in getting involved? Uh, support the campaign totally, and uh, you just ask, and I'm involved. Would love to. Excellent. That sounds fantastic, mate. I'll uh, get in touch with you after the show, and we'll uh, organise that for next year. It'd be great to have you a part of it. All righty. Happy to be involved. Thank you so much. All right.
that's it. Episode number six of Dave in the Life in the Can done. Thanks again for listening. If you're just downloading these week to week, try and subscribe via your podcast provider. You can usually get them on your Android phone via Google or iTunes, uh, or of course, plenty of other ones as well. Tune in, Stitcher, you name it, I've got it. Download it, search a Dave in the Life, easy as. And then every time I publish one of these bad boys, it'll just rock up for you. If you want to follow more of my nonsense, and I do carry on uh, a bit like a goose, Davo Radio on all the social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, that type of gear. I'll speak to you next time. Cheers. Latest.